You still love the Lord Jesus today, church? Does anybody remember the old TV commercials where a light bulb was over a guy's head and when he got a bright idea or when suddenly, you know, it, it dawned on him, the light turned on? Who remembers those commercials? Okay, is, it's, it's too old, too long ago? Okay, whatever. Well, we used to have those kind of commercials years ago. He suddenly got it. The light got turned on and he understood something he hadn't understood before or he had a bright idea. He figured it out. Well, the title of my little short message today is Turn on the Light. When my daughter was in middle school, Sheridan, she was about seventh grade out in the area where we live, Becky and I went to um, an open house at the beginning of the, of the school year. It's you know, designed where you go as parents and you follow the schedule. Your child would go from day to day and move from class to class. And you have about seven or eight minutes in each class for the teacher to give you an idea of what's going to happen. And so we were there doing that. We'd been to a couple of the classes, <clears throat> went to, I think, about the third one, went in and sat down, found our place in a, at a desk, and Becky found hers, and other parents were there, and we waited for the teacher to come in, and we, we waited, and we waited, and we waited. And finally, in about what was to be the last couple of minutes of that little session, like a tornado, in blue, this man who looked like the mad scientist to me. He was disheveled. Uh, his hair was more messed up than mine was. His, he had one, half the shirt tail in, half the shirt tail out. He had stuff bulging out of this pocket, like in true nerd fashion, you know, all that stuff. And he walked in, and he was loud. And the only thing louder than his voice was his personality. And I I looked around the room to see if I was the only one in shock, and I wasn't. Every parent I saw kind of looked like this, like, what is this? And the first words out of his mouth were th was this. He says, don't call me during the day. I'm busy teaching your kid. That's the first thing he said. So we all thought, okay. Well, you know, I walked out of there. I, I thought, man, this guy, he's, he's overbearing. He's obnoxious. How are we going to deal with this? He was gruff. He was to the point. And thankfully, we only had like two minutes there until we were saved by the bell and we could get out and go on to the next class. Well, I walked out of there with only one thought in my mind, which is, Lord, how are we going to survive this year? How is my daughter going to manage to put up with this? I was tempted to go home and start to prepare her in some way and talk, you know, talk about the differences of personalities and all of those things that, you know, whatever I could say to prepare her that she could have some success in dealing with this man until I got that gentle nudge from the wife. Guys, how many know what I'm talking about? Oh, come on. No, Dan, I have no idea. What you... Yes, you do. That gentle nudge that says, keep your mouth shut. Don't say nothing. And in this case, she was absolutely right. Because, and in every case, she's absolutely right. <laughs> Did I get out of that one? scary. <laughs> to get to the bottom of the line, my daughter was fascinated by this man. He turned out to be a brilliant teacher, and my judgment of him was completely wrong. She loved him. She hung on his every word, and that man set my daughter on the best possible path to love and enjoy mathematics. How many know that's no small job? 
She told me, I was telling her yesterday, she works on Sunday, and I, was, I, was, I spent some time with her yesterday, and, and she was telling me, I, was, I said, I'm going to tell this story. I don't want to be in trouble with you. No, that's okay. You can tell it. She said, you know, she was remembering all the things that he taught her. He taught me how to understand the stock market. He taught me how to read all those numbers and know what they meant. She could just still go over all the things that, that he taught her. Well, it was just two years ago that she completed her degree in logistics at the University of North Texas as I watched her walk across that stage to receive her diploma, I could not help but think of the man who had turned on the light for her in mathematics. I was very grateful because she has a fine job today. Thank God for great teachers who know how to turn on the light. That's a good place for applause. Speaking of mathematics, do you remember when you were in school and most nights you had to come home and you had several pages worth of problems that you had to do. Anybody remember that? And you had, you know, do all the problems on page 125 and do the even ones on this page. And it was just tons and tons of busy work, it felt like to me. Whether it was addition, subtraction, wherever you were, multiplication, divide, fractions, whatever it was. And you had to do all of these problems over and over and over. And you went through the same process over and over. You remember that? Anybody remember that? And then the next night, it was more the same. Well, what I discovered about math is the thing, same thing I discovered about the musical notation system somewhere along the way, which I had to learn, and that is the learning was in the repetition. The learning was in the repetition. There was a reason why you were assigned to go through the process over and over and over again. At first, you didn't have any idea how to get to the correct conclusion. You, you had no idea. And you were being taught the mechanics of how to work that problem, whatever it was. And so eventually, you were just happy when you got to the level that you could get to the right answer. And that was just understanding the mechanics. And then you probably, if you're like me, you plateaued there. And you reached a point to where you knew the mechanics of how to do it and what the steps were to get to the right answer, and you could do that, and you did that over and over and over, but you stayed there because you still didn't have a clue what you were doing. Am I right? You just could get to the right answer. You could do the right things, but you didn't know what you were doing. And then one day, at least this was my experience, both in math and in music, honestly, one day in the process of going through it again and again and again and dealing with the mechanics and the technicalities over and over again, all of a sudden, one day, bing, the light went on. And I understood the relationship of numbers. I understood in music the, interval, the relationship of intervals and scales and chords and all of that stuff. It made sense to me because I wasn't just doing it, I also got it. I had an understanding of what I was doing. Des referred to this this past Wednesday night, if you were in his teaching, he was talking about the various methods that, uh, that the Hebrew people have in reading the Scripture. And he went through the Peshat and two or three others. But the one that caught my attention was the one where he talked about the, he, the Sod, S-O-D, Sod. And that is that process that the Hebrews say when they're just kind of minding their own business and reading through the Scripture and maybe something they've read many, many times that they've read before. But suddenly, in the process of reading that, the light goes on. Bing! 
And they saw something they had not seen before. Illumination came, and you understood something because you were willing to still walk through the process. I'm here to tell you today that some of us are still just walking through the process, but it's time to turn the light on. I said it's time to turn the light on. Not only knowing how to do it, but understanding that there's light inside. The light goes on. Who am I going after this morning? Because I'm always going after somebody. I'm going after anybody who has any measure of darkness in them whatsoever. Whether you're saved, whether you have no knowledge of Christ, doesn't matter. I'm here to, to ask all of us, starting with me, to turn on the light. Because there's some measure of darkness Trust me, the enemy of our soul has not given up on us, trying to cloud our minds with darkness, trying to, trying to overwhelm us with all kinds of misunderstanding and wrong understanding, and I'm here to call upon all of us to turn on the light today. Can you say amen to that? It is not enough to simply give mental assent to the fact that God has redeemed the world, nor is it enough to know that the Holy Spirit can make all that Jesus did a reality in your life. The light has to be turned on for you to experience the life transformation of an inner birth. What that basically means in plain English is this. You can be a church member all of your life. You can know all of the mechanics. You can know all of the things to do. You can know when to sing, when to stand, when to sit, when to walk, when to do all of those things and know that. But if the light has not gone on inside of you with inner birth, with, with inner birth, you're still in that place of stagnation. And we need to call upon the Lord to say, Lord, in us today, in me today, I want to be rid of the darkness and I want the light to be turned on. You can't fake that, church. There's no faking that. Pastor Des said to me this week uh, in an email, he said, Dan, it is impossible to pretend to be pregnant. Either one has a life growing within or one has a romantic attraction for babies. You don't fake being pregnant. You don't fake having life inside of you. Either you're alive or you're not. And that's the way it is. Somebody say amen. Amen. As you read through the book of John, you will encounter eight different, some say seven, some say eight. I'm not going to argue it with you today. Different conversations in which Jesus makes very specific, far-reaching, even outrageous statements about himself. He does not claim to know these things. He does not claim to be explaining these things. He blatantly claims he is these things. He says in John chapter 6, I am the bread of life. John chapter 8, he says, before Abraham was, I am. John chapter 10, he says, I am the door. John chapter 10 also, he says, I am the good shepherd. John chapter 11, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. John chapter 14, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John chapter 15, he says, I am the true vine. I am, I am. He's making a bold, very outrageous claim. He doesn't just know these things, he is these things. But the one I want to draw your attention to this morning is found in John chapter 8. I want us to read it. They will project it for me, please. Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you will not have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. I want you to read that verse with me, starting with I am. Say it. 
I if I want you to do it one more time, this time with meaning. Come on, with feeling. I come on. Somebody say, bless the Lord. The Pharisees replied, oh, you are making such claims about yourself. Such testimony is not valid. Jesus told them, these claims are valid even though I make them about myself. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you don't know this about me. You judge me by human standards, but I do not judge anyone. And if I did, my judgment would be correct in every respect because I am not alone. The Father who sent me is with me. Your own law says that if two people agree about something, their witness is accepted as fact. I am one witness, and my Father who sent me is the other. Where is your Father, they asked. Jesus answered, since you don't know who I am, you don't know who my Father is. If you knew me, you would also know my Father. Jesus made these statements while he was teaching in the section of the temple known as the treasury, but he was not arrested because his time had not yet come. Lord, add your blessing to the reading of the word today. In this passage, Jesus makes the great claim, I am the light of the world. Say it with me. I am. Now, just a quick understanding of the background in which he's saying these things. It's very likely that the background against which he made this claim caused it to be even more pronounced and more vivid and more impressive. The festival with which John connects all of these discourses that I referenced just a moment ago is called the Reference of Tabernacles. A major feature of the Feast of Tabernacles was the lighting of giant lamps in the women's court in the temple. The wicks of these giant lamps were made from the priests' worn-out garments. The light illuminated the temple area and all the temple area around there, and the people gathered to sing and dance and praise the Lord. Why? Why were they dancing and praising the Lord at this feast? Because the light reminded the Jewish people of how God was with them in their wanderings in the wilderness with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire at night. How many remember the story? So what a bold, if not outrageous, statement that Jesus is making when he says, I am the light of the world. Now, even a casual study of the Greek here indicates that the statement, I am, that he is making is made not just with emphasis, but it's made with extra emphasis. I am. If you look at the root of that, it's, it's being said with extra, about as strongly as it can be said. He's, he's not saying, I am a light of the world. He's not saying that he's one of many. He's saying, I alone am the light of the world. What a claim. But what world is he talking about? Because the light of the world that we live in is the sun. Without light, there is no life. We all studied, if you went to, through basic science in middle school, the process of photosynthesis. And what happens is plants receive light from the sun, producing all they need to grow and flourish. And we know that in the physical world in which we live, if there is no light, there is no life. And we know that for thousands of years, the only light we had on this earth was the light of the sun or the light of fire. 
Before electricity and Edison or whoever you, you claim invented the light bulb, uh, people went to bed when the sun went down and got up when the sun came up because that's when light was there. So if Jesus is saying he's the light of the world, then what world is he talking about? Because he's not talking about this physical world. No, what Jesus was talking about was not the physical world, but the spiritual world. Even though the Pharisees and the people, they were arguing with him, and they were always looking for the physical application of the truth. So Jesus is talking about the other world that is existing right now while we're talking. It exists together with the physical world, and it is superimposed on the physical world. It's in another dimension, but it's right here, right now, in this room with us, and it's called the spiritual world. And he says, I am the light of the world. The physical world will have an end. The spiritual world does not have an end. For God is spirit, and they that worship him, worship him in spirit and in truth. So just like there's a physical world with physical objects and physical laws and gravity and so on. Jesus came from the Father to shine light on the people so that they would understand, among other things, the other real world, the spiritual world. And just like there's light and darkness in the physical world, there's light and darkness in the spiritual world. And just like you can get hurt and trip on something in the physical world, you can trip and get hurt in the spiritual world. How many know what I'm talking about? And just like there's health and sickness in the physical world, there's health and sickness in the spiritual world. But because our five senses are so attuned to the physical world, the spiritual world that God primarily operates in, I say primarily because He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's omnipotent. He has no limit. But the world that he primarily operates in is a world that very few give attention to. Just like you can be lost in the physical world, you can be lost in the spiritual world. How many of you have ever been in a dark room trying to find your way out? Let me see your hand. Sometimes I have meetings here at the church that run late. And by the time I finish them and drive home, Becky may be already tucked in bed with the lights out, particularly if she has an early morning the next day. And of course, my side of the bed, of course, is on the far side of the room. And in my effort to be quiet and to not disturb her because she's a very light sleeper, I will, of course, not turn on the light to find my way to the other side of the bed. And since I typically go to bed with my shoes off, I recommend that, I'm walking barefoot in a room that is pitch black, and guess what can happen? And it hurts so bad. <laughs> Particularly if the furniture got moved at all, or there's a box left, and you know, you didn't, you know, you're hoping there's a clear path to your side of the bed, and you can stub your toe. How many of you have ever stubbed your toe, particularly when you were walking in the dark? It hurts! Well, just like that can happen to you in the physical world, it can happen to you in the spiritual world. Even to people with very high IQs, with great intellect, but the spiritual light in them is not on if they don't know Jesus and they have no clue where they're going. They're in the dark. 
And, and then there can be other people who dropped out of school in the sixth grade, and yet they have total illumination. They can know where they're going in the spiritual world, and the light is on and has nothing to do with their intellect, their education, their background, their upbringing. has nothing to do with any of that. I was watching a basketball game one time. I, I, I can't remember who was playing, but I do remember what happened at halftime. You know, so often in these sports programs, you know, at halftime they do something to kind of entertain you and keep the crowd happy and entertained. Well, this time they took a young couple and brought them to center court. The young lady was blindfolded, and her boyfriend was taken off to the side of the court, and he sat in a chair. So they got the young lady, and they turned her around a few times to disorient her, and they got her down on her hands and knees, and her job was to find her boyfriend who was hidden somewhere on the side of the court. But the way she found him was by listening to the large crowd, and as she would take off crawling in one direction, they would go, yes, 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 yes. And that meant she was going in the right direction. As soon as she would start to veer one way or the other, if it was not toward her boyfriend, then they would go, no, 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 no. And so she eventually, I don't know how long, I can't remember how long it took, but she eventually found her way to her boyfriend simply by listening to the yes and no of the crowd that was giving input to her ear. She made it there. When she got there, they lifted her up to her feet, took the blindfold off, and of course discovered he was on one knee with a ring in his hand. Oh, how sentimental we all are this morning. But I do remember, thank God she said yes. How horrible that would have been if she'd said no. She didn't know where she was going. She needed help. Why? Because she was in the dark. Well, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, stay close to me, You'll understand where you're going spiritually. You'll avoid running into things that will really hurt you. You'll know the path to real peace and joy, which cannot be found in the material world. You'll understand what is really happening around you. Without that light, you don't really know what life is all about. You don't know what makes for peace and joy. You won't understand sowing and reaping. You won't understand the things that feed your inner man and your spiritual man. That's why you can have all the food you want, all the money you need, just got a raise or a promotion on your job, and yet feeling totally empty. You won't even understand why you feel so frustrated and empty unless you're following the light of the world. Jesus came to shine his light so that we would understand the eternal issues and the things in life that really matter. Because when you follow Jesus, you're going to understand the value and meaning of a soul. When you follow Jesus, you'll understand that there's a prince of darkness. When you follow Jesus, you'll understand that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. And the Bible makes it clear to us that is darkness. When you follow Jesus, you'll understand the real meaning of light and darkness. I can't help but think of a gentleman who moved away from here about eight years ago. He and his wife, he was such a pillar in this church all the time that Des and I were in leadership here. There's probably not a person that has more blood, sweat, and tears invested in this place than Ray LaRue. Ray and Sharon visited here this last Wednesday night, and I got to spend quite a bit of time with them. They were in visiting for some reason. They've moved off to East Texas, but they were visiting here. 
and I got to spend some precious moments with them long after the Wednesday night activities had taken place and reminiscing and showing them what's happening. You know, let me tell you something about Ray. I respect him for so many reasons I couldn't even begin to go into it. I have such enormous respect for Ray. But one of the things I remember most about Ray, no matter how hard he was working in that sound booth or what he was doing or crawling underneath this platform running cables or serving on this committee or serving on the board or doing whatever, whatever he was doing, there was something about Ray that when you saw him, you knew he was tuned in. The light was on in him. He could walk in a service and tell you immediately what the Spirit of the Lord was saying or doing. How many times I remember him walking up to that sound booth when he was uh, involved so heavily in the technical aspect. And he would be doing what he was supposed to be doing, but all of a sudden the Spirit of the Lord would fall upon him. A message in tongues would come out of him because he knew what the Spirit of the Lord was saying. The light was turned on. It was such a joy to my heart to spend time with him again, he and Sharon. I literally felt I had not seen them in a long time. It felt like a confirmation to me as I was even preparing this sermon. That's what someone looks like who's, who has the light turned on. I take you back to the first chapter of Genesis, the very beginning of the Bible, and remind you that the earth was without form and void, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering or brooding over the surface of the waters. And what is the first thing that God says? Let there, let there be light. That ought to say something to us today. The beginning of the solution to everything that happens in our lives is that we need light. How many of you want more light today? By show of hands, how many of you want more light today? Jesus said, I am the light of the world. If you're depressed and your life is chaotic today and you find some measure of sanctuary in this building, but as soon as you leave here, you're living in chaos and confusion and your life is without form and void, then you need to take time and let God shine his light into your life so that you can start to define things and know what's going on and where you're going. Now I need to be honest with you about something as I try to finish this quickly. Something about light that I need to be sure you understand just in case there's anyone in the room this morning that I've encouraged you to turn on the light, there's something that I need to be honest and tell you, and that is this. We know that light helps us, helps us to see, can help all kinds of things. But before light helps you, it will hurt you. I tend to awaken in the 5 o'clock hour most mornings, and I get up, and the house is dark, and it's dark outside, find my way into my little office first thing and at home and the computer's gone to sleep and I hit the space bar to get the computer to wake up. Sometimes at 5 o'clock even the computer doesn't want to wake up. And when it comes on, this bright screen, and I've learned to turn my face away because it hurts out of the total darkness. It hurts my eyes. And we've all seen when coal miners or miners come out of the place where they're working, They've been in there for days or weeks or ever how long they've been there. When they first come out, they've got to protect their eyes because the light hurts. We've all had that experience of being in a very dark room. And for whatever reason, our schedule calls us to step out and we walk outside. Oh, my goodness. The, the light, it hurts. I think it's possible that some of us here today might be having that very experience in the spiritual world. The very thing that happens to us in the physical world happens to us in the spiritual world. You've asked God for light. You've asked God to illuminate His way for you. 
But when it comes, your reaction is, oh, oh, hmm, hmm. And we, and we tend to say, it's, it's our natural instinct to, to, to reject it and to, oh, goodness, that can't be God. That hurts. God wouldn't do something that hurts. But before light can help you, it will hurt you. You see, when the light shines on us, it reveals things that are painful or uncomfortable. Or it causes us to be exposed to something that says, uh-oh, i got to fix that. That's what light does. Before it will help you, it will hurt you. But when we let our eyes adjust, we see that he's giving direction. And he's guiding us just as we've asked. And he is in the process of taking us from glory to glory and from grace to grace. Lifting us to a higher place taking us to a place we've not been before because the light is shining on us. The light of the world says it will hurt, but I'll help. He says, I am the light of the world, and he who follows after me will never walk in darkness. How many of you will say with me that you want to follow the light of the world, that you'll not walk in darkness? Come on, I want to see a show of your hands if that's what you're saying. All right. If you just raised your hand, it was a setup. because there's something else you need to know. Those of you who said you want to follow the light, because there's this, this is true as I start to close. You know that means nothing. If you're going to follow the light of the world, you have to keep up. I said if you're going to follow the light of the world, you have to keep up. Because the light of the world is on the move. It is not stagnant or static in one place like these lights are. They're not going anywhere. But the light of the world is on the move. It was true for the children of Israel as they followed the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. Why were they following it? Because it was on the move. And it was going somewhere. And if you don't move with the light, you will be left in darkness. Selah. You might say, I'm all comfortable where I've been. I like it where I'm at. I've worked hard, Dan, to get this comfortable and convenient. And all my ducks lined up and everything feels comfy and cozy. I like it here. I think I'll stay. The only problem with that church is the light has moved. And if you're going to follow him, and if you meant what you just raised your hand for when I set you up, if you meant that, you must understand you've got to move with the light. Are you hearing me this morning? Jesus is the light of the world. He's on the move, and therefore, if you want to remain in the light, you must keep moving. You need to follow. I'll never forget the Sunday we were elected to be your senior pastors in June of 2011. I don't, I don't know the person. Becky said after the service, if she told me, I don't remember who it was. She said, a lady came up to her and said, Oh, Becky, I voted for your husband for pastor. Becky said, that's nice, or whatever she said. And then she said, and there was a reason why I voted for him. Well, what's that? I voted for him because I know he won't change anything. He'll keep everything just the way it's been for the last few years. (laughs) 
Becky said, bless you, my sister. Go in peace. Now, you might be saying to me, Dan, I, I made a decision to follow the Lord years ago. It's not just the initial decision to follow Jesus when you first get saved and give your heart to Christ. It's daily following after him, day after day after day, and keeping up with Jesus because he's on the move. Tomorrow is not going to look like yesterday. You're not hearing me. Tomorrow's not gonna, your tomorrow is not going to look like your yesterday. Thank God he's the God of your past, but he's also the God who's on the move and taking you someplace else for the glory of his name. And he's saying, you've got to keep up with me. You don't get to stay where you were. You've got to keep up with me. Keep close to me. He who follows me, who stays close to me, will never walk in darkness. Occasionally, Becky and I take a walk at night or walking the dog, weather permitting, and I typically carry the flashlight. And when it's pitch black outside, Becky stays real close to me because I've got the light and I can see where we're going and see if there's a crack or a crevice in the sidewalk or whatever. And that's the picture. Jesus says, I am the light and you keep close to me and you'll be able to see where you're going and you'll be okay. But you've got to do, take the effort of staying close to me. The other thing we need to understand, those of us who are saying we want to follow the light of the world, is that Jesus is saying, you stay close to me, and you'll be liberated from darkness. You keep close to me, and you'll be free. But there's a great paradox in this. Younger people and older people alike are always saying they want to be free. They want to be free. Some of you have teenagers in your house that are, can't wait to get out. They want to be free. They don't like the rules. They want to be free. And they think that they go their own way, that they'll be free. But no, they'll end up in darkness because they can't see where they're going. Because they don't have the light. They think that to submit their will to someone else and to follow someone else is going to be just the opposite of freedom. But they're wrong. Jesus says, follow me, submit to me, keep close to my footsteps, and you will never walk in darkness. You'll be free, really free. It's a promise. It's an offer. He simply says, follow me. And you'll never, never walk in darkness. Church, it's time to turn on the light. Close your eyes with me this morning. You know, in the Bible, darkness is likened to death and sorrow and depression, being on the bottom and hopeless, while light is a symbol of joy and peace in the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I have come as the light of the world so that you won't live in sorrow and pain and depression. But if you will live in joy, if you'll live with joy unspeakable, and I want you to be in the light. I, I know full well that darkness hits people in various ways. We know the enemy is out to kill, steal, steal and destroy, and he certainly wants to keep you in darkness. But I've noticed that some people, just by the way they're constructed, can so easily give in to darkness Dark feelings, dark emotions, dark hopelessness, unbelief, and they almost appear to wallow in that. Oh, they love the Lord. They're not going to go off doctrinally, but they can so easily give into darkness. And Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. We're going to close in just a second, as I, as I promised. But I just can't deliver a message like this without asking, is there anyone today who says, and I'm not going to call you to the front, I'm not going to embarrass you, I'm not going to do nothing like that. I just want to pray. 
I want to pray for anyone who says that for whatever reason today you are dealing with any kind of darkness. If that's you, would you just stand so I can pray? I'll give you a minute. Give you a minute. I'm dealing with some measure of darkness. And I so want the light of the world to shine inside me. I need the illumination. I need the direction to know the next place to go, the next step to take. I need the Lord's light. I need to hang on to the promise that He said, I am the light of the world. If that's you, just stand, please. I lift these before you today, my Father, who are standing. And I ask your amazing grace to be upon them. I thank you for your promise that you aren't just a light, you are the light of the world. And it's the world that really matters. So we are opening up our hearts to you today. We're saying, oh Lord, come in and shine your light in us. Give us illumination. Give us direction. And if the, if, the, if the pillar of fire is moving in my life, give me the grace to see it and to follow it. Even if it hurts right now, because ultimately to be in your presence, your presence is heaven to me. That's far better than even any momentary pain I'm experiencing at this moment. So we submit ourselves to you and we say, oh, light of the world, shine upon us today. For we need you. And I ask for the covering of your grace to be upon these that are standing today. In Jesus' mighty name. And the church said, Amen.